Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Pop Culture Double Date. We're taking a hiatus from Counterpart this week and we all went to see Mission Impossible Fallout. Um, so this is a full spoilers podcast of Mission Impossible Fallout um, and I'm tonight joined by my usual crew of Anija, Gerald and Maggie. Um, hello everybody, say hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi. Hey everyone. Um, so yeah, like let's let's... Just go through quickly our initial impressions of Mission Impossible Fallout, whether we liked it or not, um, sort of interesting things that we kind of thought about the film. Who wants to Who wants to shoot? I know Anager and Gerald have potentially seen it twice already, so I'm very <laughs> yeah, interested we, in what their opinion is. <laughs> we did see it twice. We saw it in VMAX in the morning, and then we saw it in Gold Class in the afternoon. Um, and it was really good to do it that way because um, the second time round, we could just focus on the set pieces and just enjoy them without having to worry about trying to follow the story or figure out what's going on. Joel, do you want to go first with your thoughts? Yeah, sure. Um, In a word, well, in two words, this movie was fucking awesome. Um, When, 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 uh, look, I was never, for a while I was not a big fan of the Mission Impossible Impossible franchise. I thought uh, the first film was a bit blah, and um, in terms of post-Cold War thrillers directed by legendary directors go, I thought Ronan, directed by John Frankenheimer, shat all over Mission Impossible, directed by Brian De Palma. But at some point during the run of the franchise, and I think the turning point was the Burj Khalifa sequence in Mission Impossible Ghost Proto- Protocol, something, something clicked, and I surrendered to whatever it was that, Tom Cruise was selling. The man might be insane, his Scientology might be creepy, but I'm I'm totally cool with the idea that that is the price you pay for the Tom Cruise who is crazy enough to hang off the side of the Burj Khalifa, to hang off the side of a massive airplane as it's in midair, and to try and do a tailspin in a in a helicopter in the one country that would let, allow him to do that, namely New Zealand. And um, a halo jump. Yes, and a halo jump, a, a shot which lasted for only about. Who knows about five seconds, but which took them a month to film. Okay, let, let's uh, let's movie... let's remember this point because I want to ask later about what which action sequences were actually real life ones. But keep going, Jez. Yeah, this movie was absolutely look. This was my most anticipated film of 2018, even more than Avengers: Infinity War. And look, um, at the risk of sounding like a besotted fanboy, I think it totally. Totally delivered. Look, it's not a, it's not a perfect film. Um, if you were to ask me, you know, where the plutonium was at various points in time, I probably couldn't tell you. But having said that, um, the no movie this year uh, delivered spectacle in the way that this movie has. I mean, um, this movie understands full well why we why we go to the movies, why we sit in the dark and allow these big images to dance across the silver screen. We're there for spectacle. Like, TV can give us all the plotting and character development we need. We're, we go to the movies for sheer spectacle. And this movie, uh, you know, was, was cracked to me. It was it was phenomenal. Okay, <laughs> cool. Uh, Anna jo, do you want to shoot? Or Mags? So, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I might as well. Look, I think the 
problem is it was really built up. Well, there's no problem. I loved it too. I thought it was great. Um, it was my favorite of the Mission Impossible movies. But it was really built up. Like the first thing I heard about it was that it was the best thing since Mad Max Fury Road. And I don't know why anybody made that comparison because they're, com- they're two different movies um, and they don't compare to each other. And Mission Impossible 6 was nothing like Mad Max Fury Road. I think it compares better to movies like Fast and Furious where – there's nothing really going on other than the action set pieces, and it's all about one-upping the last action set piece. And I love the Fast and Furious franchise, but um, yeah, I don't know what the, what that comparison was all about. And people oh, have that, been that comparison. That comparison was because all the all the stunts were practical, and there weren't any oh, sort okay. of there wasn't much CGI. I don't know how practical the stunts were, but I get your point that they were done by the people who, like, they weren't, they, it wasn't CGI driven. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so it was really built up, and so I, I don't, it, I, I guess it matched what I was hoping for, or kind of just fell short of it, but only because I was hoping for so much based on what, what everyone was saying. Um, most of the action pieces were great, but say that high, that, that jump from the plane through the storm, it was spectacular for a few seconds, but it just didn't last long enough for me to really be wowed by it. I think it was just, it was too short. And to think about how much time they had to invest just to get those seconds of, you know, of film, um, I, I, I'm not sure the payoff was necessarily worth it, um, especially not just because it doesn't really play much of a role in the plot. I don't really care about that. Um, I just think it was so short that it didn't have much as much of an impact as it should have given how monumental it was. Um, I really loved the hand-to-hand combat, especially with the Asian John Lark um, kicking the asses of Tom Cruise and Walker, um, Tom Cruise and Superman. I thought that was great. I, I started actually started clapping the first time I saw it because it was just hilarious for once to watch this irrelevant baddie just completely own, um, you know, the two stars of the show. So that was awesome. Um, I, I have been thinking about why I really connect to the um, Ethan character and the Mission Impossible movies in a way that I just don't with James Bond. And I think it is because they are pushing hard this idea that Ethan is um, morally superior, right? Because he will not make that call of one life for a million. For him, all lives are you know, infinitely valuable, and so you can't make that call, and he will sort of risk it all to save that one person. And even if you don't, like, in your head think that's the right choice, we are, I think, drawn to that choice as though it's the one. It's the one that we emotionally connect with. Because if you think about the um, superhero movies, um, you know everyone hates the superheroes because they have been um, killing lives in order to save millions, right? They've been crashing into buildings. They've been, um, you know, responsible for explosions, and innocent people have died in order to save millions. And, and people aren't happy with that outcome. Like it might make sense but we don't like it. Um, And so Ethan is the opposite of that. Um, And so I think that's why we want to root for him and why I connect with him, even though I simultaneously realize how completely ridiculous it is and how they are just driving that point too hard. Like I thought it was completely ridiculous, the scene where the female cop gets shot. Um, And not only does he blow the entire mission to kill 
the guys who are shooting her, but he then has to go up to her and touch her cheek tenderly and say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Like, for God's sake, they saved her life. There's nothing to be sorry about. Move on. So, um, but I think that is why I connect with them because of that that silly ethical kind of line that's being driven there. Um, yeah. I thought, yeah, all the action was awesome. Um, I could not tell, I could not tell Rebecca Ferguson and um, his wife uh, from from movie three apart. I Are you serious? One of them. What was a brunette and one of them's a blonde? Well, the thing is, lightened her hair a little bit, so that helped a tiny bit, but not really. See, does for, for Anager, all white people look like? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I thought it was I thought it was great. What did you guys think? Max, you want to um, go first? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I um, really enjoyed uh, the movie overall. I thought was good. I really enjoyed the action sequences, particularly the ones that took place in Paris. Um, and I thought the sort of chase to find the two ticking bombs in Kashmir was really um, gripping as well. Uh, my favourite character um, is Rebecca Ferguson's character, Elsa, actually. <laughs> um, I thought she was a badass, and um, I loved how they gave her airtime as well in this movie to actually, you know, show herself as a character more than more than just a sort of one-trick pony from the last movie. Um, I like that Ethan Hunt has a, um, a crew, and I think the scenes where they work together as a team are really um, really entertaining. Um, for me, what you just said, um, Anager, about the sort of ethical bent to the Ethan Hunt character as the sort of key um, thing that draws you into the franchise, I actually found that the least, um, the least convincing um for me in this movie um and i was thinking about why so i was thinking about why i really enjoyed skyscraper and i enjoyed <laughs> this one probably less than skyscraper and i don't know if it's because of the because of tom cruise <laughs> or is it because of my overwhelming love of the rock um so uh, for me it, the movie was a tad too long at two and a half hours um, and if they had taken away, um, some of that attempt, like that scene that you, you just said, you just described about the police officer, um, if they had removed those little, um, scenes, um, from the movie and just focused on the core of what Mission Impossible is, which is amazing, an amazing action movie franchise, that would have probably cut the movie down a little bit. Um, do you, think, do you find Tom Cruise not likable? Do you think that's why you don't? Well, this is the thing, because I really, really loved Edge of Tomorrow. I thought that was an amazing movie. Um, and I really, that's the one with Emily Blunt, where aliens invade us. Yeah, I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Groundhog Day I, with was, aliens. Yeah. 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 With, alien Groundhog Day. And I thought that movie, well, I really found that movie really entertaining. And I um, empathized with his character, even though at the beginning his character was a really, um, you know, selfish um, self-centered journalist or not journalist, media person um, who's in the army um, at the end of the movie I, I really got into um, the plot, into his character uh, believed in him and I wanted him to succeed whereas for this movie I, I didn't f really connect with his character at all and I, I wonder if it was because they were trying 
too hard to actually create that sort of um, new edge to to this character, kind of like how they tried to do that with James Bond back in the 50s mm. when the um, Australian actor took on the role. can't remember his name now. Um, George Lazenby. Yeah. yeah, so I just wonder whether or not he's trying to pivot the, the franchise a bit. Um, yeah, so that that's sort of the... For me, that was the failing of the movie this time around. So if they had cut out all those attempts to actually do that, focused on the core of Mission Impossible, which is incredible action sequences, um, I, I think it would have been an amazing movie. Yeah. Okay, I, I think there's a few things to unpack there. Um, so I think my impressions... I, I I liked it. Um, I, I liked it quite a lot, actually. I, I thought it was um, a sort of se- uh, edge of your seat film, right? Genuinely, a edge of your seat film because I felt tense um, throughout the film. I like. I thought the action sequences were amazing. I, I think everybody kind of agrees the action sequences are amazing, and uh, I thought the action sequences were mainly amazing because um, they were interesting, right? Like we've seen car chases and helicopters blowing up and like audiences nowadays are super jaded with this sort of stuff right and the fact that this film was able to keep all of those sort of like elements interesting because you know they'd put twists on it there'd be like a heist element to it you know there's like you know like all of these different it's either they're kind of reacting to situation and the team is trying to get a hold of it in like in like the context of a foot chase or a car chase or something like that or they've got the plan figured out and they're trying to execute the plan i don't know what it is but the way that this film like presented its action sequences, I didn't feel like they kind of got stale, right? I didn't feel like you were falling asleep in the middle of those sorts of car chases. So I thought that was um, really good. I I also thought that the level of tension was, like, super high, right? Like, I I, I kind of felt like all of the characters, um, all of the sort of core team, you know, um, Simon Pegg's character, Ving Rhames' character, um, uh, Elsa, who is... um, What's her name? Um, Rebecca Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson's character, right? All of those characters, you, even his wife, right? Michelle Monaghan's character. You kind of felt like at any point those guys could have died, right? And in fact, Eric Baldwin did die. So that <laughs> that was like, <laughs> I guess, like it, it. You felt like there was a sense of stakes at play, and you know, those stakes were basically nuclear war. It's like you can't really get any um, higher than that, really. So. I thought the film did a really good job of, like, building up that tension. Um, yeah. I, I think... So so I, I think there's a few things to kind of un- unpack as well, right? So to the point of what Mags and Anja just talked about in terms of the character of Ethan Hunt, um, I did feel like... Look, I did feel like this movie really tried to kind of build on his character. And maybe it's because I didn't really pay attention as much to the old Mission Impossible films. Um, But I I, I felt like they were trying to build on a character and um, I was kind of bought into it, but I can kind of also understand why Mags would kind of feel like she wasn't 100% bought into it. Because it, it feels like such a weird sort of thing for a film like this to do, right? Um, in in many I ways, think it's based even in the first movie where he loses all of his team, and so yeah. after that he won't let any of them 
dies. But but it's gone from that, which is really more about protecting your team, yeah. to the philosophy of you know one does not one is no less than a million you know yeah. lives. Yeah. I, um, I, so there has been a pivot there. Yeah, because I I definitely felt that they were kind of trying to pull a Dark Knight here, right? Where they were trying to make him into this sort of Bruce Wayne-style character who has this, like, central moral core. And, you know, like, even, like, the way they talk about him as, you know, I know you'll be there, so it's fine, right? And, like, he's the hero who kind of, like, gives up his own personal life in order to, like, (laughs) kind of save him. Like, there were echoes of the Dark Knight there that I I definitely Mm -hmm. sensed. And I, I guess for me, that was kind of okay. But I can also see why, like does feel like a little bit they're just trying to like shove it in right because at no Mm. point in the previous films has he ever come across as like that sort of bruce wayne character i mean the reason that sort of thing works in like that batman trilogy is because from the beginning that's kind of the type of guy that bruce wayne is right it kind of Mm. all roughly makes sense while with him like i can understand why it wouldn't absolutely makes sense because you're kind of like hang on like why is this guy all of a sudden so like i didn't mind it because i like heroes that are morally centered right i kind of feel Mm. like nowadays we have a lot of heroes that are like morally hypocritical (laughs) a lot of the time right Mm. so and i I don't like that so i felt um engaged more engaged with this character because he was willing to like he didn't want to kill those french policemen right like he wasn't willing to let Ving Rhames die. He wasn't willing to let that French policewoman die. But on that point, the really annoying thing about this movie is it doesn't ever really force him to make a true ethical choice because every choice he makes is kind of an easy one. Um, it's easy to kill the bad guys to save a female police officer. It's easy to kill the bad guys to save your team member. What mm. if the female police officer was going to shoot him or one of his team? Like, What mm. choice would he have made then? Yeah, I think those it never it never really asks him to make a true ethically difficult choice. Well, I, so I, it really pulls the wool on us a little bit, which is annoying. Yeah, I think ethically it seems like, and so it was like I actually felt the police officer scene, the scene with that police woman, was like a kind of like a weird sort of scene because he's kind of not willing to let one woman die, but he's willing just to cap four guys. Without, without a question, mm. right? So, mm. like, I, I guess almost, like, maybe that scene's supposed to say that morally he's happy to kill bad guys if they're bad guys, but yeah. if they're yeah. innocent, then let no innocent die, right? So Yeah, and let yeah, him in, make the call about yeah. what innocent yeah, exactly. and what the, yeah. what the bad is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, um, so, like, I, I guess that point is interesting that they were kind of trying to really build his character up. Um, mm. I, I felt like, though, that they were trying to build his character up, but and then they were trying to get you invested in his team. But to be honest, I was invested in his team mainly because I'd seen them around for multiple films, not because I particularly knew any of them as characters, really, right? Like, mm. um, look, I, I don't watch the Mission Impossible films as closely as Gerald does, right? But, um, like... I guess one of the things I've kind of noticed, I I felt about some of the Mission Impossible films was that, like, a lot of these characters were kind of disposable film to film. It kind of, like, each film, like, prior to going to this film, I kind of felt that all the Mission Mission Impossible films put back to back kind of feel like a genuine 
remake of the original Mission Impossible TV series in the sense that they feel episodic in and of themselves. They're kind of like, this episode of movie franchise Mission Impossible, they do this thing, right? And they can, mm-hmm. they can have a slightly different cast. I mean, I know Ving Rhames has been around for ages and ages, right? But it's kind of like none of those sort of sub-characters have really had their kind of their characters kind of built out, right? So I, I did kind of feel like it was a little bit like weird that, you know, they focus so much on Tom Cruise and then all these other guys that you're supposed to care about. And you do kind of care about because they're kind of part of his team. But really, beyond that, like, I, I don't really know any of them really very well, mm. um, kind of at all. Um, look, having said that, I, 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 I did really kind of enjoy this film. I, I think Mags and I came out of this film in very different sort of places. I, I came out of this film with a big smile on my face and I thought, wow, this is mm. actually a... Like, this was a really well-made, super tense action film, right? And, like, as an action film, it ticks all the boxes. Awesome, right? Um, yeah, so... Um, so, let's let's move on, right? Unless we, we want to discuss the characters anymore. Let's actually move on to, really, the meat and potatoes of what Mission Impossible is, which is um, the action scenes, right? Um, like, I guess I found it really interesting that, like... Um, I was at the train station the other day, and the advertisement for this film was basically that all the action sequences are real. So I wanted to ask Gerald, like, do you know if pretty much, like, what was CG and what was not real? Like, and what was real? Because some of those things don't seem like you could do them if they weren't CG, right? Like, the helicopter stuff seems like there's no way that's real, right? <laughs> Well, let me let me tell you about the helicopter stuff. Um, Anna Joan and I were holidaying in Queenstown, New Zealand last year. It was the first week of July. We took a helicopter trip to Milford Sound, which is this beautiful gorge um, about sort of uh, a half a day's drive away from, from Queenstown, if not longer. And we, we touched down on this airbase and we went off to get a cup of coffee. Um, then we, we came back to the airbase and our pilot said to us, you guys just missed Tom Cruise. I said, what? And he pointed to this black helicopter flying off into the horizon and said, see that black helicopter over there? That's Tom Cruise. He was here about five minutes ago. They're making Mission Impossible 6. But was the tailspin real? And apparently it was. Apparently he did that. The tailspin was real because the um, Airbus Airbus was the manufacturer of that helicopter, that that model of helicopter that that Tom Cruise got a a license specially to fly. And... um, a, an Airbus sent a representative to to monitor the filming of the of this particular scene, and this Air, Airbus rep said there is absolutely no way you can you can pull this off. And crew said, look, let me show you. I, I can pull this off. The two of them went up in the helicopter, and according to this particular Airbus representative, what happened next was absolutely terrifying. As crews pretended to lose control of the helicopter, and they did go into a bit of a tailspin in a gorge, but it, crews pulled it off, and. Um, Air, this Airbus rep said, I've been flying these helicopters for years. I've never seen anyone do what you just did. That's very impressive. And the thing is, Cruise got a helicopter license, a license specifically to fly that model in about a third of the usual time that it's done because he, you, you, you can do it, I think, in about six months flying X number of hours a day. What he decided to do was to triple the number of flight flight hours per day and compress the time within which to get the helicopter license. So that that 
a, a lot of that was done for real. Um, the Halo flight, uh, the Halo jump, as I said, genuinely happened. They they he went to no. one year. He no. actually went, trained for one year. He trained for one year to do that went, jump. And um, the Superman character, who, who's Superman? What's his name? Cavill. Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill wanted to do the jump too, and he was told no. Like, like we get that you want to do it, but it requires so much training, and Tom Cruise had trained for one year to do it, and he did it. Wow. But yeah. surely they so, didn't. Surely they didn't jump through, through the, the storm. storm, right? Like the storm that, the storm is, is yeah. CG. The, right? the storm isn't. The storm isn't real. But the actual that actual shot where you see the helicopter, the the, the camera f- um, fall backwards out of the plane, and Tom Cruise follows it. That's real. They had to specially design a helmet to show you Tom Cruise's face. The usual Halo jump helmet doesn't allow you to see the face of the person inside. They specially designed a helmet which is lit up from within so that you could see Tom Cruise's face. No one's done a TV jump from that height ever before. He's like the first one to do, you know, a, an above-the-clouds jump from a plane. Yeah. And the, the foot chase in London, he, he broke his ankle. Uh, filming that there's a there's a very there's a there's a shot you can see where he he ru- jump runs runs across a rooftop and makes a big leap and then he 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 um, well he kind of lands onto a lands onto the next building and sort of holds himself up by the fingernails and then sort of gra- and yeah. then climbs up and he limps away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that limp is that limp is real because he just shattered his 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 ankle. And what happened was there was a they had to shut down filming for six weeks after that. And for about for for about six weeks, well, for about a week afterwards, no one knew how bad the damage was. Cruz was actually told that it would he would have to have to take nine months to recuperate, and there was a chance that he'd never be able to run again, yeah. which was a problem because that was the first day of filming the entire running foot chase sequence. Um, but he was back at work six weeks later, not doing the running. That took a little longer to do, but he was back on his feet and walking. Um, uh, uh, Six weeks after that, notwithstanding that he'd been told that he needed um, a nine-month sabbatical, um, and the stuff in Paris—that to me is—it's—it's—it's it's an excellent action sequence. It's probably the second best action sequence ever shot in Paris. The best being the long car chase at the end of Ronan, and um, they—I think some of the cars were added in CG around the Arc de Triomphe, um, but that was genuinely a lot of that was genuinely done for real. Um, the they they were only able to shoot at the Arc de Triomphe for two hours. What happened was the the director wanted to shoot a, um, a chase sequence around uh, a roundabout in Paris, and he found a roundabout, but he thought it was a bit lame. So he told the his his location scouts to find him a good roundabout, and they were like, okay, whatever. And they came back and they said, look, you're going to like what we just did, but you only have two hours. And they managed to get the Arc de Triomphe. So they shut down the Arc de Triomphe for two hours around dawn wow. and filmed this scene. Um, and Let's Cruise face was, it, right? Scientology must be re- real because, like, that dude is a god among men. Like, it's insane. Yeah, that the amount of... Look, I, I think actually one of the great things about this film, right, I, I think what really adds to the action sequences is the real-life location stuff, right? So when you see him running across... And, and can I just add, like, he's sprinting across the the roofs of London. So that doesn't seem like a man who has had a, like, shattered ankle, right? It feels like a guy who's pretty... Like, because the other thing is that they're doing these shots. I was actually... This is one of the things that I noticed, right? So when you sprint kind of at his pace, there's, there's like kind of like a limit to you. 
to how far you can go before you kind of like really start puffing, right? If you're kind of like just a normal person, if you're not like an Olympic athlete. So I was looking at the distance of the shots that he was sprinting at. And he's sprinting, like, at pace, right? It looks like his form is good, like he's sprinting at pace. And some of those distances are crazy, crazy long, right? Because they're trying to get the vista of the city and stuff. So I was actually super impressed. I was like, man, this guy has got really good cardio for a guy who's, like, what is he, late 50s? Is he mid to late 50s? 56. He's 56. Yeah. Yeah, like, did you notice that, Max? Like, his cardio must have been insane, because he would be doing multiple takes of this, right? And he's do- basically mm-hmm. doing interval training for every one of these takes at, like, you know, he's running, like, 600, 700 metres, maybe? Like, yeah. He, yeah. yeah. He looked like he was, um, you know, those... Um, those memes of people who whose legs are going too fast, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and their arms are going too high, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like I was, I was super impressed. But but more than that, like you have these vistas of these cities, right? And I I I thought that was really cool. I I thought it um, the international aspect, how they're going to London, Paris. You know, it kind of added to this sort of idea of like an international spy film, right? And I guess Mission Impossible has kind of always been like that, but they're not skimping on those locations at all. Those locations are like premium locations, right? Like he's running around the dome of like St. Paul's. I was like, wow, that is ridiculous, right? Like what? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah it was, um, I, I was, I was really, really impressed by, by, by those action scenes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it really, it really is. Um, they really did. It, it really is sort of phenomenal. And the thing is, they they did sort of plan the movie around action scenes. So, um, so Macquarie and Cruz have been planning this movie for a long time. And just to give you an example, Cruz said he wanted a, he wanted a helicopter chase at the end of the film. And it turns out that there was only one country in the world that would let him do that, namely New Zealand. Um, and they were like, well how are we going to justify sending this movie in New Zealand because New Zealand's not exactly sort of a, a hotbed political trouble. So they turned it into Kashmir and they were like, well, what do we do? What, what's everyone doing in Kashmir? So they sort of reverse engineered the movie based on uh, what they kind of had in mind for these action sequences. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. Look, I, I, I think the action sequences get a big tick from all of us, right? Um, what do we think about the plot of this film? Did, were you guys able to follow it? Did you did you think the twists were twisty? Um, wh- what were everyone's thoughts? I thought it was fairly easy to follow. Um, Gerald, I know you said you didn't know where the plutonium was. The plutonium was always with the Apostles until the Mission Impossible team took it out of the nuclear weapons. It was with the Apostles since they took it from, in, you know, in that very first scene where um, Tom has to, um, to, where Ethan has to um, kill the baddies in order to save, um, uh, is it Luther? Yeah, Luther. Um, so, and no, I thought the plot was quite easy to follow. Um, I did I also bought into some of the setups that they did so um, the idea that the bombs had actually gone off um, and they were going to trick um, who was that guy at the beginning what was his name um, they tricked that guy into giving them the passcode lock on the phone mm. by, con- oh, by Professor Delbrook him. yeah Delbrook um, but, uh, I, I 
didn't really question that that was true. And I thought it was awesome when, like, it was revealed to be just a, uh, a movie set and they tricked mm. him. And even though it was cheesy as it could possibly be, I just loved it. I, still, I looked at Gerald and I grinned. I just thought it was awesome because then the, the, the theme song came in just as that happened and it was mm. just it was just great. Um, and even at the end, um, when they stopped the um, nuclear weapons from going off, right at that countdown – and things fade to white, I wasn't sure if um, they'd succeeded or not because it cuts to a picture of Tom Cruise still hanging off the rock and you're not really sure that he's gotten the um, remote until you finally see it in his mouth. So, Mm. um, yeah, look, I I, I did not find the plot hard to follow. I bought into a lot of it. I thought there were stakes. Um, Yeah. Mm. Did you guys find uh, it hard to follow? uh, Look, it wasn't wasn't that hard to follow, but there was one big problem with it and that is this um the we're told that the apostles are this sort of incredible force of uh terrorists who are just complete badasses and are plugged into intelligence services around the world um they've got this plutonium they want to pass it on to john lark so why the bloody hell would they use a a basically a cia um collaborator to pass the plutonium to, to Lark. And mm. you, you think about that too long, the movie kind of falls apart. So it's best just to, to let that to let that fly through to the keeper. But there, 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 is, there was that sort of fundamental issue that once Vanessa Kirby's character, um, the White Widow, gets revealed as a CIA collaborator, you kind of think to yourself, well, why then would the Apostles trust her to be the one to pass along the plutonium because not only is she she's not been she's not just working uh with the cia in this one-off instance we're told that she's been working with them for years so the idea that the the apostles wouldn't know this um kind of stretches credulity in the world of the film Mm, mm. but you know i was i was fine with it i you know i shrugged my shoulders and and sort of uh waited for the next action sequence to start up Mm, mm. Mags, what, 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 what were your thoughts on the plot? Um, I didn't think the plot was too difficult to follow. Um, you did have to sort of suspend belief um, quite a lot of the time. Um, and right from the beginning when, you know, Tom Cruise is in Belfast and he gets his um, the book, um, The Odyssey, at the beginning as the sort of receptacle for his... Um, I am he- the storm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, I- yeah. And then, yeah, all right, here we go. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, I mean, I used to watch the Mission Impossible series that used to run on Foxtel, the super old one from the 60s. Um, and those plots were, like, outlandish and crazy and ridiculous, and I completely loved that series. So I'm more than happy to suspend belief. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just got to give me incredible action sequences to, you know, make up for it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, look, I, I didn't feel the plot... I actually, look, to be honest, I quite like the plot, right? I, I guess for me, I... I don't know if it's just because, I, like, you kind of watch these Mission Impossible films and you kind of just expect it. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, when they do the fake nuclear thing and Wolf Blitzer is on CNN and stuff, right? I kind of bought that for about five seconds, and then immediately I thought to myself, hang on, this is a Mission Impossible film. And, <laughs> and basically, but, so this was the thing, right? So I liked that they did that. I, I thought it was really interesting. But, like, there were quite, like, 
that and then the bit when they switch um what's his face bearded Solomon Batman. Lane yeah when they switch Solomon Lane I felt like they were really telegraphed right like the first one was less telegraphed but the second one I thought was massively telegraphed right and it's kind of just mm-hmm. like I, I don't know if we've just kind of reached maximum Mission Impossible style switcheroo style hijinks because <laughs> Like I, I kind of thought to myself, hey, I know what's gonna. I can't. I kind of know what's gonna happen here, right? I still f- found it enjoyable. It wasn't that sort of old that I didn't find it enjoyable. But um, I guess like I, I didn't find it as. I wish. I wish I could have found those scenes surprising because I think it would have been a much cooler film, right? And I, I guess yeah. maybe if we were not as um, cynical and um, as sort of. I guess, weary as we are of all these sorts of, like, slice of hand, um, maybe we would have enjoyed it a little bit more as well. So, well, um, I mean, the, the director, Christopher McQuarrie, has explained in interviews that he yeah. uh, fully expected half of the audience to have yeah. picked, it, picked yeah. some of these to t- straight away, and he was cool with it. He was like, look, I'm, I'm fine with that, because um, you, you, can't, you, can't fool, you can't expect to fool people, and if you'd go... If you go the extra mile to fool people, you'll just piss them off. Yeah, so uh, that's an interesting point because the thing that I found really weird actually was like the way they just gave away that Henry Cavill was the big bad guy mm. super early on. I'm right? glad they did that because you would, you knew that from the start as soon as you saw him. Really? You know no. I mean? <laughs> he, he was pitched as he was pitched as the adversary to like Tom, uh, the adversary to Tom Cruise, right? He he, he was pitched as as the, the guy who was his his equal and his opposite, so I'm glad they didn't try to make that like a, a suspense. Um, you knew from the moment Tom Cruise says to him, "It's your fault we're here because you killed the guy who could have identified the bad guy." Like I knew from that moment that he was a oh, traitor. Oh, really? Wow. Um, okay. Yeah. Because why? Why else would they make a point of letting us know that he had killed the one person who could have identified the bad guy? It, well, it's just too much of a coincidence. I, I just felt that it was kind of like he was. So, I, so this is the thing that I did buy into. Right? I bought into the idea that Henry Cavill was this ham-fisted CIA guy who just went around capping people, and um, like he was not like super bright, well, it wasn't that he wasn't super bright, but he was just like um, that sort of overt show of force style type of guy, right? And I bought into it because as you get to know his character, he comes across as like really gung-ho and, you know, when he goes into the, like, the fight with the Asian guy in the bathroom, you know, he has that scene when he kind of like rolls up his sleeves and is kind of like, oh, I'm going to get serious now. And then he goes in and he still gets his ass kicked, right? So, <laughs> like, it, it kind of, like, creates this sense of a character who kind of um, has bought kind of into his own hype a little bit, thinks himself is a, a little bit bigger than he... Well, a little bit better than he actually is, right? And there was Not part the kind of... of guy who sits around writing a manifesto? <laughs> no, no, absolutely. So, this Not is why... Yeah, yeah. At, at one point, I thought that that was how they were going to introduce Cavill into the team, and that was going to be the twist, right? That ah. they've been built up, that he's been built up as this antagonist. But the reality is that he's going to be like the muscle of the team sort of thing, right? Because he's going to... And, and then, like, really early on, basically immediately after the... I can't remember where they were, where they jumped into the party. But immediately after that um, scene, he has the scene with Angela Bassett, 
where it's like, yeah. he basically says, hello, I'm the bad guy. And it's like, oh, yes, yeah. that's, that's, it feels odd. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, I, I can understand that, I guess, from the director's perspective, like, people are going to pick this sort of stuff. Why? Mm. Why kind of hold it back, right? Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. But it, it was like, you do learn very early, I think, that the bad guy is kind of Henry Cavill. So, yeah. Yeah, and as, as, as others have pointed out, he's sporting a filthy bad guy mo. So, <laughs> um, you know... <laughs> Uh, you know, the, the facial hair, I think, is a, is a signifier of where, where this bloke stands. Having said that, having said that um, the facial hair does not obscure the fact that Henry Cavill is a profoundly beautiful man. Well, <laughs> Sorry, Max. Um, I just said, well said, Gerald. <laughs> He's just quoting me. No, but the... Thing is, I actually I actually posted on Facebook the other day. How much does Henry Cavill look like a real life archer? Because it's he's just chiselled to the max. <laughs> and it was really interesting because they kind of contrasted his fighting style between like with with Tom Cruise. Because Henry Cavill in the bathroom, and I mean I have very little insight into like different forms of martial arts, but he was clearly boxing like a boxer. boxer yeah. Yeah, and then Tom Cruise had that sort of more, I don't know, scrappy... Jackie Chan style. Jackie Chan Chan style, which is just unclear what the style is, and he just uses everything around him, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Um, Okay, well, oh, so, okay, the one thing I would like to add about Henry Cavill is that... um, I think Mags loved this as well. I loved it in the helicopter when he looks back at Tom Cruise chasing him and he, like, <laughs> goes and picks up basically a machine gun from the back seat and just starts shooting this thing out of the helicopter. I thought that was hilarious and amazing. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Like, oh, let me see what I have here. Oh, look, it's a machine gun. Oh, look, it's loaded. Oh, look. Look, I can lean out and it's okay. It doesn't affect the buoyancy of this helicopter at all. It's yeah, absolutely- yeah. <laughs> and what I loved about that scene and Henry Cavill's performance in that scene is that um, he's just increasingly frustrated that Tom Cruise won't die. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and Cavill, Cavill kind of like becomes Wild E. Coyote <laughs> and, and just amazed at how every single time the Roadrunner slips his grasp. But it is amazing how Tom Cruise is not dead, right? Like, at some point, I was thinking to myself, this really is impossible. What is happening here is impossible, <laughs> right? So, uh, yeah, anyway. One uh, quick last note. How amazing was the water scene where uh, Lane is um, in the water and the water kind of just does yes. this bizarre thing? And, it, and it, it's real. Apparently, they rolled the truck in the water to make the water behave that way. Isn't that insane? Oh, wow. Like, it looks incredible. Yeah, I agree. I think that's testament to when you use real-life effects. It, like, you get these, like, weird things that kind of happen, and visually it's just super interesting, right? Mm. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I have to say as well, the fight, the action sequences, there were some sequences where I was thinking, I wonder if they're thinking about creating, like, another theme park ride or something. Because there were some of those car chase scenes where you're like, oh, I could see this as a roller coaster or something <laughs> like that. Anyway. 
Okay, look, on that note, um, if there's, is there anything else we want to talk about? Or are we okay to wrap up? Anybody? Uh, okay to wrap it up. Okay, look, I, I think we generally liked Mission Impossible. I think our rating goes from good to best film ever from Gerald. <laughs> but, but look, generally this, this was a really solid action film with really solid action scenes with like a really interesting plot and plot development that sorry character development that could or might have hit the mark or might not have hit the mark but generally i think it was a pretty solid film so um thanks so much for discussing mission impossible fallout with us guys um and we'll be back not next week but the week after with uh, probably the second half of counterpart so thank you very much for listening and um Thank you very much, everybody here as well, for um, contributing to the conversation tonight. Thanks, guys. Cool. Bye. See you. See you, everybody. Bye.